turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. We'll begin uh, this period of our Bible study in that place, Exodus chapter 20. It is good to see you. We have a great crowd this morning, a number of people visiting with us. We're thankful that you're here. want you to feel welcome. want to do anything we can to help you to draw closer to God, but we are glad that you are here this morning. Thank you for your presence. I want to remind everyone that uh, it is 12 days until we have our Bible workshop weekend, so not this weekend, but the next, and we get confused. I don't know, uh, everybody has their different way of saying uh, next weekend or the weekend after next or anything like that, so I'll just say 12 days, 12 days. Uh, We'll be here gathered to sing together on Friday night, and then uh, we'll have our workshop for the young people on Saturday, and I just want to be reminding you of that so that you're in prayer about that, particularly uh, the topic for this year is that we are disconnecting to reconnect. And the idea is how do we use technology and how do we incorporate technology into our lives? So all of us are trying to grapple with how we manage these devices that we have that are a part of our lives. And there are a lot of spiritual issues that grow out of those things. And so we're going to discuss that particularly with our young people on that weekend. So I hope it will be beneficial to them. And I know that uh, all those who are involved in the teaching effort have been working hard to prepare themselves to do that. So be in prayer and be thoughtful about that and be planning to be here. The singing is for everyone on Friday night and uh, on Sunday we'll see uh, Brother Phil Robertson who's going to be preaching for us at that time. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Exodus 20 and verse 13. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So this is the back half of the Ten Commandments, the ones that turn our attention away from our responsibility to God and turn our attention to our responsibility to our fellow man. And God wants his people in this section to be aware of their impulses and desires and emotions and how those things affect other people. Our theme for this year is house rules. We're talking about principles for Christian homes. And what we're talking about as we go through this this year is these are things that need to be taught and practiced in our homes. Places where, or our homes are places where these things are become the foundation. And I'm especially trying to stress this year that the things that begin in the home, the relationships that we have, the communication that we have, the environment that we have, becomes who we are out in the broader world, both in our children and in those of us who are parents. That who we are at home trains us to be who we're going to be when we're in the workplace or when we're in the community. And so these lessons taught and learned at home then become what the future generations, churches, and communities will become. So we've talked about already this year that home is a safe place, and we've talked about the fact that we respect each other in the home, and I want to build on that foundation, and I want to add a little bit of a character principle to that this morning. We're going to talk about that one of the house rules we should have is that we tell the truth. This is the heart of the ninth command, the one that we read here in verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Honesty is about the testimony that we give. We testify to the truth of the world as we know it and as we understand it. 
And that could be the facts of a situation. That could be the emotions that we're experiencing. That could be what we know about another person. But whatever it is, we bear true witness. We tell the truth and we bear witness to what we know. Now, bearing false witness or even that idea, we sometimes would use the word testify. Those are words that have a very courtroom feel to them. And even in the Ten Commandments, the implication seems to be in more of a formal setting. How are you going to speak? Are you going to tell the truth? But what he says specifically here in verse 16 is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You see, when we lie about something that involves our neighbor, we do wrong and we harm them. We lie and we hurt others. So even at the beginning, God tries to get us to see the connection between honesty and how we relate to other people. When we bear witness that's false against someone, we harm them. So God expects Christians to be honest people, people who bear true witness. And I want us to see what that will look like in our homes. The first thing that's going to mean is that we tell the truth when we talk about others and when we talk about ourselves. So look again at verse 16. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Dishonesty hurts other people. If we say things that are not true, then the world begins to operate as if the false thing is true. That's true in a courtroom setting. That's true in everyday life, where people are generally going to believe what we say. And when we bear false witness about someone, when we say false things about someone, it hurts them. This is Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Paul says, don't lie. That's this part, having put away falsehood. But then he says something that's a lot broader and more encompassing. He says, let each one of you speak the truth. There is a large difference between not lying and speaking the truth. We don't have to say anything to not lie. But speaking the truth means we've got to be very careful about what we say and its accuracy. It speaks to a lot of things like deception that we would say, I'm not going to do that. Even though I didn't technically lie, I'm speaking the truth, so I'm not going to say that. But then I want you to notice the why here. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. That we have a relationship. And because of that relationship that we are connected together... People deserve the truth from us. We are members of one another, and we have a bond. Now, if that is true generally, how much more is it true in our homes? Where the people who we have an even tighter and closer relationship with are the ones that we live with. Now, frankly, I don't think we need a lot of Bible teaching on this. I could go on to some other passages, but it's an interesting thing. Everyone, everyone acknowledges that lying is wrong in most situations. Everyone, even people that don't really live by a moral code. In fact, it's interesting when you watch a, uh, a movie or a TV show or you read a book, most drama in those works comes because someone will either not fully disclose something or they'll actively lie. And then there is tension that springs from the lie. Now, that's the old sitcom thing where are you going to get busted in the lie? Are you going to keep telling lies? And then eventually at the end of the 25 minutes, for you kids that don't know what a sitcom is, I'll tell you later. But the, the idea is at the end of the 25 minutes, then the lie comes out and we all learn a lesson. 
The reason why lies cause drama is because we all acknowledge that lying is a betrayal. You are betraying someone's trust when you tell what's not the truth. So we need to stress that when we talk in our homes, we tell the truth. Now, having children has taught me that I need to speak a little more specifically about that. Because there are some qualifications to the idea that we tell the truth when we talk about others or talk to others. Not everyone deserves this level of truth-telling for us, from us. So, for example, if someone were to come up to my little girl and say, where are your parents? There might be a setting in which that's an appropriate question, and there might be a setting in which she does not need to tell the truth. Or, if someone were to ask my children, so do you have a crush on so-and-so? There might be a situation where they need to say, you know what, I'm not going to tell the truth about that. There's truth, and then there's discretion. And sometimes we need to say, maybe there are people we don't trust, not because we don't want to tell the truth, but because they are not trustworthy. But I want to say, even given that qualification... We don't use trust or the lack of trust to lie to people. It's not an excuse to be dishonest. It is instead a reason to be careful. And if there is anyone that we can completely trust, it should be the people who live in our homes. We should be able to be fully honest with one another. But I've also said we tell the truth when we talk about others and about ourselves. Because there is a principle here that I believe we need to stress about how we live together at home. It's this principle from 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now I understand this passage is talking about how God has revealed himself through the spirit. And the principle Paul works from is we wouldn't know what God is thinking until he told us. You can't guess God's thoughts. And in the same way, though, he says... Even people, who knows a person's thoughts unless he tells them. You don't know what I'm thinking unless I tell you. And I don't know what you're thinking unless you tell me. The point is, if we are going to express to one another what we are thinking and feeling, we need to tell the truth. We need to be able to express ourselves to one another in an honest way. In Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. One commentator says about this verse, Truth means what is sure and trustworthy, not merely correct. What this man, the man described in this verse, what this man says is one with who he is. He is true. And so when he speaks about himself, he speaks truth in his heart and he will tell others the truth in his heart. So as I mentioned a moment ago, telling the truth is going to require some discretion, even when we tell the truth about ourselves. No one wants to hear everything you think and feel. No one. And that includes no one wants to hear what I think and feel in every dimension. But when things are bothering us or challenging us or we're struggling, we need to be able to be honest and express that and tell the truth about it. What better place is there to express those concerns or express those emotions than in home? This is where that is learned, to be honest and tell the truth, not only about others, but also about ourselves. 
Second, we tell the truth when we are wrong. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 10 for a moment. Acts 10. In Acts 10, Peter is, has a vision that he needs to go. Uh, well, he has a vision of eating different kinds of animals, but he is then told by the Spirit he needs to go visit Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And the problem is that Jews like Peter have nothing to do with Gentiles like Cornelius, so he is reluctant, but eventually he decides to go. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 28, Acts 10 and verse 28, he goes to Cornelius' house. And it says, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So I hope you notice in this that Peter says, you know it's unlawful for me to do what I'm doing. I feel like I'm probably doing something wrong, but the Spirit told me to come, so here I am. A little further in verse 34, Acts 10, 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now Peter is rethinking things in this text, and he admits it. He says, Now I understand. I don't think he fully understands. I think Peter is exaggerating a little bit. But he is beginning to piece it together. That maybe God is accepting of people even if they're not Jews in whatever nation they're from. The reason I say I don't think he fully understands is because of his reaction in just a few verses. Look down a little bit in verse 44. Acts 10 and verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked them to remain for some days. So now the Holy Spirit descends on them. They begin to speak in other languages. And Peter stands up and declares what he would never have declared before which is we need to baptize these guys. Can anyone stop us or withhold water? Now, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So now the Jewish Christians get on to Peter. You shouldn't have done that. What were you thinking going and eating with these people, much less baptizing them? And so Peter tells them the whole story. This is chapter 11. Goes through everything that was in chapter 10. And I want you to notice verse 18. Chapter 11 and verse 18. It says, When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I am amazed at that verse. They fell silent silent. And maybe it's just because I'm getting used to social media arguments and the political uh, climate of our day, but I can't remember the last time I heard a disagreement end like that with one side just shutting up and saying, you know what? We were wrong about that. Has it been a while for you too? They fell silent. 
And you know, at this moment, everything changes. It changes because Peter is willing to say, I was wrong about that. And then the Jews are willing to say, we were wrong about that. And not only do they say it, they then back it up. And they completely change their policy and how they engage with Gentiles from this moment forward because they are willing to tell the truth about the fact that they are wrong. It is a funny thing. Well, maybe not funny. Maybe it's a sad thing. We all admit we're human. We all say things like, nobody's perfect. You know, I have been wrong in the past. But we are stubborn and reluctant to say, I am wrong about that right now. I don't want to be wrong in the present. I want to have been wrong in the past. To admit that we are not right or that we have not done right. Our homes, please hear me, our homes need to be places where we can freely admit we are wrong. Where we can own our mistakes and we can admit our weaknesses and we can say this is what I was thinking and feeling and I shouldn't have. We tell the truth when we know we're wrong. Now this can be humiliating. That's the reason, one of the reasons we're reluctant to do it. When we admit we're wrong, we have to kind of look down a little bit. Our voice lowers. But we have excellent training in character. When we can say the truth is more important than my feelings about it or how I might lose some face in this situation. We've been reading in our daily devotionals about Pharaoh as the... Egyptians are holding the Israelites as slaves, and Pharaoh refuses to let them go. And Pharaoh's conduct is, is amusing because when the plague comes, Pharaoh's disposition changes completely. He's sorry, I've sinned, I'm so sorry. Just please just take away the frogs, just take away whatever. And then as soon as it's gone, Pharaoh's back to his old self. Oh, never mind. No, nope, not going to let you go. And it is amazing because toward the end of the story, all of the Egyptians want the Israelites to go. All of the Egyptians revere Moses. Everybody knows that Pharaoh is wrong except Pharaoh. Everybody is just waiting for Pharaoh to give in. Here is what I want to say about that. We don't want to be like Pharaoh where everybody knows you're wrong except you. Everybody is saying, Jacob, what's it going to take before you just admit it? Instead, we need to be the kind of people who tell the truth when we are wrong. And we need to be the kind of people who tell the truth when we make commitments. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Several of these are just sort of principles that come across in lists like these like in the Ten Commandments, or here in Galatians 5, in the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. At the end of verse 22, the word that I'm wanting is the word faithfulness. And when it is used in contexts like these, where it does not have a reference to God, it has a reference toward people. It is the idea of faithfulness. Jesus ties faithfulness and honesty together in the passage that Brother Johnny read about oaths. See, what was happening in Jesus' day is people would make oaths about a certain thing, and they would swear by a certain object, something to do with the temple, and they felt that if they 
they swore by the wrong thing, then they didn't have to keep their oath. And Jesus says, why do you need oaths at all? Why don't you just say what you mean to say? Let your yes be yes. If you mean yes, say yes. Don't swear by stuff. Don't feel like you have to draw other people in. Just be honest. But faithfulness is tied into that because our honesty is shown by how we keep the word we've already stated. When we said yes, do we do yes? Or do we say, you know what, when I said yes, I didn't really mean it because I had sworn by something else. This is about faithfulness to keep our word. That when we make a commitment, we keep the commitment. And I want to remind you that faithfulness is a fundamental attribute of God. This is who God is. Just go with me for just a moment. Look at these passages. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God's faithful, which means you can count on him when you're in temptation. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But the reason you know that is because God keeps his word. He is a faithful God. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 There are others. I think this suffices to show the point. The point is, we depend on God keeping his word. We sit here today because we are confident in the promises of God. God made promises long before we were born. And we hold on to those promises and we say, I know this is true because I believe that God is going to keep his word. If we're going to be God's children, we need to be a kind of people who keep their word. So in our homes, we need to be teaching and practicing that we do what we say. We honor our commitments. We show up when we say we will. We are dependable. And of course, that transfers over to the bigger commitments. Sometimes we make commitments that are not about, I'll be here at this time. They're commitments that say, I will be faithful to you for the rest of my life. Remember what Jesus said about this? He who is faithful in little is faithful in much. He who is dishonest in little is dishonest in much. Jesus says, those little choices that we make on a daily basis to show faithfulness, to keep our word, to do what we say, those demonstrate a character that then can be brought into the bigger things. Not only our commitment to a mate, our commitment to God himself. We learn these things at home. And so we need to be a people who in our homes tell the truth about what we promised when we make commitments. Well, we tell the truth in these situations, when we talk about others, when we're wrong, when we make commitments. Have you ever thought about why we're afraid to tell the truth? I think there are some natural things. Even, I've thought about this because, you know, I have three children and, and um, I didn't teach them to be dishonest. It just sort of happened. Sometimes there were situations where, where this was the choice they made. And you begin to wonder when you have, say, a three-year-old. And the three-year-old, you can see the moral dilemma in their face. And, and lying seems like the best choice for them. And you wonder, well, why would that be? 
Well, there might be consequences for telling the truth. Very early on, we learned that. We have the saying that the truth hurts. Sometimes it's not other people it hurts, it's us it hurts. And very early on, we learned, well, if I admit to this, then the consequences are going to come to me. But a little more broadly, it might be that we have a part of us we don't want others to see or know about. Something that we want to hide because if you really probe that, you think about, well, why don't we want other people to see this? Then it becomes, well, we we don't want to disappoint people or we don't want to anger people. This is not just about consequences. This is about damage. And we're concerned, if you know that I did this or I think this or I am this, then I'm going to disappoint you and I might even make you mad. And then that becomes, I, I fear that I'll lose your love. That if you're disappointed and angry, what if that doesn't go away? What if you're continually disappointed and angry in me and you don't love me anymore because you know me and you know what I'm really like, you know what I've really done? And so what then becomes is we develop a habit of dishonesty and evasion. And slowly what in a three-year-old's face is just genuine fear of consequences becomes for adults a full-blown moral crisis. The issue is that often we get to this last point, a habit of dishonesty and evasion, where we don't know how to tell the truth anymore. Everything, everything becomes cloaked, filtered. We are too careful because we are still fearing all of these things. And when we induct children into this schema, they work from the first one right on down to the last one. They start with consequences and then they begin to think, well, maybe if I tell the truth about this, there's a character problem and so on and so forth. And eventually they end up in the same habit of dishonesty and evasion. It leads to a lack of trust and a slow emotional unraveling of a home. What I want to say is we tell the truth And that we have to be prepared to change the culture of our homes so that this is not the way we live. And I want to take just these last few minutes and give some practical things that I think might help with that. First of all, I want to talk to parents. First of all, this is the duh point, so we can all just say duh. Tell the truth. Parents, be the kind of person that your spouse and your children can rely on to be honest. Show them that sometimes telling the truth costs us. Don't shy away from those lessons. Don't shy away from those situations, even if they're painful or a little embarrassing for you. Going along with that, own your mistakes and your overreactions. I am talking to parents. Please hear me. Sometimes you will make a mistake. You are not perfect. Sometimes you will overreact. Sometimes you will do and say things you should not do and say. I am suggesting that it is really valuable for our children and our spouses to hear us admit that. I should not have said or done what I did or said. I know that the fear here is that it will undermine our authority if we do that. Our kids aren't going to listen to us anymore. Oh, they're going to say, oh, Dad, you're overreacting or something like that. But I have actually found the opposite. I feel it makes me able to be me, for better or for worse. But I've got to say, even if it doesn't work, 
even if it creates other problems, the problems came because I overreacted. If I'm going to teach my kids and my wife to be truth tellers, I have to be a truth teller. There's just no other way around that. So own it when you make a mistake. I'll say this to parents. Well, that is where I am. Okay, sorry. Balance truth and age appropriateness. Sometimes kids ask questions that are above their pay grade. I remember when my kids, uh, I, think, I think Luke might have been five. He wanted to know how much our house cost. I'm just not going to answer that question. At least not yet. Sometimes kids ask things about anatomy. They ask things about life. And they're not prepared to process the answer. Please, parents, deal with these questions without lying to your children. There are lots of ways to do that. We could say things like, I'll tell you when you're older. That's not something we need to talk about right now. But I have also found that sometimes the question sounds different to our ears than what they're intending. If you just ask, what exactly are you asking? You might find it's a completely different conversation, and you can kind of go, okay. Balance truth and age appropriateness. Please don't ever use the fact that our children may not be prepared to process truth as an excuse to lie to them. To parents, be careful about punishing honesty. Here's your child and you say, did you take the cookie? And if they say yes, we punish them. What do they learn? Don't say yes. Don't tell the truth. Be careful about punishing honesty. We have tried to make it a rule. We've not always lived up to it. We've tried to make it a rule that it is always better to be honest, even when you've done wrong. But if we punish them for honesty, what kind of behavior can we expect? Now, there might be ways that we can work with that where there are different consequences based on whether we tell the truth. But I am encouraging you not to be blind to the fact that sometimes we promote the behavior that we shouldn't. Be honest and trusting of your mate. There needs to be honest, open communication between parents. Kids need to know that parents talk to each other, that they know what's going on. I need to stop here and say something that needs to be said. I felt like this was the best place to say it in this lesson. There is a conversation that needs to be happening with regularity in every Christian home. It is the pornography conversation. There needs to be a conversation between husband and wife and between parents and children at age-appropriate levels about pornography. We need to be able to be honest about this. Marriages can still survive pornography, but not if we ignore it. Porn is not a biblical cause for divorce. I don't believe that. It's not that kind of problem. It is an honesty issue. Husbands and wives need to know what's going on in each other's lives, and they need to know if this is an issue. Parents need to know if this is an issue in the lives of their children. And I will just say it is an issue for the overwhelming majority of children and young people in our time. Statistics I found this week said that 70% 
of men aged 18 to 24 visit a porn site at least once a month. 70%. If we think that we can just kind of bury our heads in the sand about that and just hope for the best, cross our fingers, we're really being negligent. So have that conversation and have it with honesty. This is a subject about which we must learn to tell the truth. And we learn that at home. And please remember, parents, if we don't encourage our children to tell the truth about things like this now, then when they get married and start their own homes, they'll continue that culture of dishonesty and hiding. Now is a time for truth-telling. Be honest, be trusting of your mate. And to parents, keep your word and your promises. When you make commitments to people inside and outside the home, do what you say. What do we teach one another when we don't tell the truth? Let's talk to kids for just a minute. First of all, I want to tell kids, your parents can handle it. One of the reasons we're most afraid of being honest, I remember this when I was a child, is that we think that it's going to hurt our parents or it's going to impact them. In fact, maybe it'll break them. And I just want to tell you, we are adults. We'll be okay. We can manage, but I can speak for all the parents here. Every Christian parent would rather know the difficulties you're facing and the bad things you've done than be kept in the dark. I remember as a young person thinking uh, it was mainly my mom that I would interact with and thinking my mom could never understand and I wouldn't want her to know all these things. I look back on it now and it just seems silly that the person who loves me the most and who knows the most about me would somehow not be able to handle the idea that I might be in trouble in some ways. To kids, I would say home is a safe place to be honest. These are the people who will love you no matter what you do. There are other people in the world who will not love you no matter what you do, but your parents will. Other people may have lesser motives, but you are safe at home. To children, I would say admit when you're wrong. There is no value in being stubborn. Nobody gets anywhere being stubborn. Admitting when you're wrong will make everybody happy. It will make your parents happy when you say, I was wrong about that. And it will make you happy because you don't have to keep denying it. And then to children, keep your word. Do what you say. This is our house rule. If you're going to say it, you need to be ready and prepared to follow up with it and do what you say. These are house rules. We tell the truth. I want to encourage you. Let's make our homes sanctuaries of truth-telling and a culture that has just given up on telling the truth. We need to be teaching and practicing. Let's have marriages where we share the truth about ourselves, we own our mistakes, and we keep our word. And let's raise kids who know how to tell the truth in every situation. May God bless us to that end. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation, the gospel, You're ready to give your life to the Lord Jesus. He came to tell us the truth. He came to tell us the truth about ourselves, which is that we were in sin and lost, and that we needed someone to rescue us from that. And and God sent his son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for those sins and to rescue us from our plight so that we could have hope of eternal life with him. And if you believe that and you're ready to turn away from your sins, become a child of God, We love nothing more than to help you do that. You come confessing your faith, be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away. If you're ready to do that, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.